Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel on the historic day. May 2nd. Uh, thanks for joining us here at Baseball America or on iTunes, wherever you download the podcast. And Aaron, uh, you were the one who clued me in, uh, clueless John over here, uh, sitting there watching uh, some NBA highlights and watching uh, the Phillies-Mets game. I flipped off the TV and came upstairs to check on college baseball, and you were the one on IM who gave me the uh, Bin Laden news. So that was uh, just another, I'll, I'll always think of you when I think of the, that, that historic event. So uh, slightly less historic weekend in college baseball, but we are here to talk a little college baseball, Fitzy, and uh, and, and let's let's just go jump right into it with the game that you went to on Friday night, Aaron, and the Pac-10. Let's just jump right into the Pacific Ten yeah. Conference. Uh, Oregon State stays number three. No change in the top five in our rankings this week, Aaron. Virginia one, South Carolina two, Oregon State three, Vanderbilt four, Florida five. No real surprise there, except for the fact that Oregon State went on the road, Aaron. And did what I think we never thought teams would do this year, which is go on the road and beat Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer back-to-back. Uh, what did you see out of Oregon State? What are people going to read a little bit of? You can tease a little bit for what people are going to read in, in three strikes today. How the Oregon State Beavers continue to stay this hot and to lead the Pac-10 um, despite the loss of Andrew Susak, their probable first-round pick catcher? You know, they just they really play hard. It, it it's, can't help but be reminded of of that you know 2017. I mean, the Oregon State built a a dynasty in the last decade because of their toughness and their um, you know just their, their every time they took the the field, they had a mental edge over their opponents. And and this team feels that way. You know, they just just uh, they always believe they're going to win. Um, you know, you, you ask them when are the injuries going to catch up with you guys, and you know the, the players just don't believe it's that that's going to happen. I mean, uh, they they really are a confident group. And uh, and and they they just I mean I'm almost at a loss for words. It's just really impressive what they've been able to do. I mean it's and, amazing. Uh, Offensively, you look at them, Aaron, and obviously I'm looking at the stats. I'm following their releases from afar. You know I, I click on their releases. They're a team of interest. I read their, their their press releases from their games. But you got your your leading. You're still your leading home run guy, tied for the lead in home runs, and still third in RBIs in Susac. Well, he's out. 
You got Garrett Nash, heralded recruit in his fourth year, fourth year sophomore, doesn't play, uh, hitting 205, he's, still leads the team in stolen bases. Yeah, he's he's back now. He's playing center field leading off for most of the time. Okay. Okay, so he's back, but he's st- he's hitting, you know, 205 with a 347 on base. Still leading the team in stolen bases. It's not an offensive juggernaut, but it seems like they get just enough. And is is Carter Bell the Canadian Darwin Barney? Yeah, that's I love that. That's a great comparison. <laughs> he's he's a, he's a winning ball player like Darwin Barney was, and uh, it's just a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, but uh, you know what they do, and John Savage said this pretty well on Friday. They're a frustrating team for opposing pitchers. They, they've done that, and he said they've done that since he's been in the league. They just drive pitchers crazy. They don't give you anything. And, and I noticed that watching their approach against Garrett Cole. Um, they, uh, they would get the two strikes, and then they would just protect and knock the ball you know, through the four hole. And uh, you know, they had a really good middle-to-away approach, and they were getting a lot of balls out over the plate. And they just uh, they, they take what's given to them, and they, and they don't give you anything. And they seem like they don't, uh, you know, on, on the mound, it took a no-hitter from Josh Hosich, it seems like, to beat Gare, uh, Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer was his usual long-tossing, studly self this weekend. What was it, 15 strikeouts Yeah. Uh, in the game on Saturday? And yet, uh, Josh Hosich, you talked to Josh Hosich after the no-hitter. Um, you know, we've, we've written about, you know, this is a guy who's not throwing a lot of breaking balls. Usually when you dominate in college baseball, you throw some breaking balls. Even if they're reverse sliders like Trevor Bauer, here's a guy mm. dominating an admittedly modest UCLA uh, you know, lineup. They basically said like he just did it off the fastball and a little bit of changeups, right? Yeah, those were mostly it. And, you know, he mixed in the curveball now that he's, he's throwing finally. But, uh, uh, I mean, he's got a great fastball, you know. I mean, it's it'll be 94, 95 pretty, pretty consistently. And, I mean, it looks like he's, he's just come all the way back. I mean, we always knew this guy had it in him to be a beast. And, uh, and I think he's, he's, finally, he's finally doing it. He's healthy, and he's throwing strikes. And, uh, you know, they've got a really good one-two punch there with Sam Gaviglio and Josh Osich. And, um, and then, you know, they've got uh, a, a group of other pitchers behind those guys who they've, they've used in different roles with Ben Wetzler. And, um, you know, certainly Tony Bryan has kind of settled into that closer role. And then Matt Boyd, they've got, they kind of like him now in that uh, the setup role, kind of a long relief moment of truth type role. So, I mean, those, those guys are kind of their key guys on the mound. They haven't even had Taylor Starr and Ryan Duke, like Adam Duke, like we've talked about, right. but, uh, but they haven't needed them. And, you know, it's just, uh, it's been remarkable. And the other thing here, uh, Aaron, is that the, that bullpen, uh, we know that Pat Casey knows how to use a bullpen come the postseason. Uh, witness in 06 and 07, and in 05, the deployment of Kevin Gunderson as a moment of truth guy. Daniel Turpin and Joe Patterson uh, in those years, uh, he knows how to use a bullpen, and it seems like he's got plenty of arms to work with in that bullpen. Um, in your gut, are Danny Hayes, Kevin Keyes, Jared Norris, is that the middle of a lineup? You know, Parker Berberet, they're the backup catcher. who's tied for the team lead with four home runs. He's replaced Susak. Do they have enough punch offensively with that, you know, frustrating approach? Do you think they could, do you think they could power their way back to Omaha for the third time and you know, fourth time in six, seven years? I think they've got a chance, you know. I mean, and uh, you have to believe at this point that they've got a real good chance to do it because they're probably going to host a, a regional and a super regional if they win that. And uh, I like Danny Hayes. I think he's got a he's a really good, dangerous left-handed hitter. Nice swing. 
Um, Kevin Keyes has had a very good year for them. And, and you know, again, I mean, th- those guys are, are solid college guys in the middle. I mean, Norris, Carter Bell, Burn Red, I mean, those guys are, are solid. They're, it's not a powerful team, obviously. Right. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of teams near the top of our rankings that aren't, you know. Texas is similar. Texas doesn't have a lot of power. And, Great point. Uh, and they just keep on winning, too. So I think this team is pretty similar to Texas. Uh, not maybe – the the kind of elite pitching that Texas has, but it's it's obviously very good pitching, and uh, it's a, I think their their offensive approach is similar. And then the other question for Oregon State is, can they hold off hard charging Arizona State? The Sun Devils uh, win a series at home against Stanford. They had their little hiccup, and which obviously is understandable. They got swept at Oregon State, but in the rest of Pac-10 play, Arizona State has been uh, a monster, and the Sun Devils. 31 and 10, uh, 13 and 5 in the league, and their conference schedule the rest of the way here and is considerably easier. It seems like they're at Southern Cal and Washington, but those are teams where Arizona State has a significant talent advantage, and then they're going to be home to UCLA. Can Arizona State catch Oregon State despite the fact they got swept, or do you think Oregon? And that, I guess the other question is, can both these teams be top eight national seeds? Because it feels like they're both, uh, you know, easy best eight teams in the country for me. Yeah, they are right now, at least, and and you never know what can happen the last few weeks. But it seems like they're both on track to to be national seeds, and um, you know I, I do think Oregon State's schedule isn't terribly difficult either. I mean, you're they, right. They're home. They're home for Cal and USC. Uh, they've got winnable road series at Washington and at Oregon. Um, but uh, you know that said, I mean, I, I feel like you. I feel like Arizona State's not going to have any more hiccups at this point. You know, they just they do this every year. They get into their their groove in the second half, and they just seem to take off. And um, you know, we don't know for sure that that Oregon State isn't gonna isn't gonna trip up at some point with all these injuries that they've had to deal with. I mean, I, I still wonder about that. But at this point, um, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. So, but but that said, I mean, they're only I think a, a game or so or a half game up on Arizona State. It's close the standings. So uh, you never know. It's still pretty open. Looks like uh, you know with with Arizona State. Do you get the sense that they're starting to find that groove a little bit offensively? Or are they still kind of fighting themselves offensively? You see, like pitching wise, you know, pitching depth would be the biggest advantage that Oregon State has over over Arizona State. Correct? Uh, maybe so. I mean, you know, Arizona State staff is fairly deep. They've they've got their their guys on the weekends, and I think they've got a little bit more in the bullpen now around Mitchell Lampson. They like Trevor Williams back there as a setup guy, and Mark Lampson has even emerged a little bit. They've got Alex Blackford. So, uh, you know, I think I think Arizona State is actually deeper in the mound than they were last year. Um, but uh, you know, it's it as far as offensively. I mean, boy, Joey DeMichael has just been the real surprise for them. He had three home runs in that win on Sunday. Um, but uh, the rest of those guys, I mean, they, they still haven't really hit the, to their capacity, certainly. I mean, we've talked about it before, Zach McPhee and Zach Wilson, two All-Americans. Um, they're still hitting less than 280, you know. So, I mean, I, I think there's, there's still time for this team to get better. I don't think it's played its best baseball yet, but uh, it, it did score some runs against a very good Cal pitching staff this weekend. Pretty impressive. So, Pretty impressive. Um, you know, I, I think they're getting close, yeah. I think so. It seems like you said, Arizona State seems like it is that team, that uh, program that has a history of finding that gear. At the other end of the Pac-10, well, not the other end, the other end of our rankings in the Pac-10, uh, the UCLA haters out there will be happy. The Bruins dropped out of our rankings this weekend after uh, losing a series. I forget who they lost the series to. Oregon State, I'm sorry. That's kind of obvious. And uh, Stanford losing that series to Arizona State, as we just talked about. The Cardinal drop out of our rankings. 
Aaron, right now we have three Pac-10 teams in the rankings, the two we already talked about, and Cal all the way down at 20. Is this still a five-bid league? Is there a six-bid league in this league? If This is all assuming Arizona State is eligible. Um, is it, can you even conceive of a 64-team field without six Pac-10 teams? still feels like a six-team league. Yeah, it is. I think it's still a six-team league, and um, you know, I, I still think Arizona's in fine shape, especially after sweeping Southern Cal. We we thought about bringing Arizona back into the rankings this week, in fact, but um, the fact that they're, you know, they 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 did lose a head-to-head series against UCLA, and their their body of work hasn't been great. Uh, but uh, they did. Then again, they also won a series against Cal. So you know, I mean, Arizona's going to be there, and I think Stanford's. With, the strength of their schedule, assuming they, they don't fall apart down the stretch, they should be in as well. But, uh, you know, right now, Stanford's 6-9 and nine in the league and just, just five games over 500 overall. They, they've, they've got some work to do, but, um, you know, and the schedule remaining is, is kind of middle of the road. I mean, they've got Washington at Oregon, and then they've got Arizona and, and at Cal, so it's a tough finishing stretch. So Stanford, I think, is, uh, is in a little bit of a precarious spot, but I, I think at the end they'll be there, and I think it'll be a six-bid league. UCLA, you've seen a lot of the Bruins this year because of Colin Bauer. You wrote a great draft blog post the other day about Garrett Cole, his recent struggles. We talked about it last week on the podcast about how, in my mind, comparing Garrett Cole to Strasburg prior to these other great guys that he has similar stuff to, it really the difference is fastball command. Is it not, Aaron? I mean, especially comparing him to Stephen Strasburg. Stephen Strasburg put the fastball in a teacup if he wanted to. Yeah, I think that is the big difference is uh, right now, you know, Garrett Cole isn't really owning the inside half of the plate. That, to me, stood out as the the biggest reason why he he was struggling this weekend. And um, you know, and, and John Savage kind of agreed. I mean, it's uh, the hitters were too comfortable going the other way, leaning out over the plate and over the, you know, down and away on that slider because he he wasn't. You know, when he tried to come inside, he hit a guy. Um, it just uh, it, that was the big difference. You know, like you said, Strasburg really commanded the inside part of the play. Strasburg commanded the zone as well as anybody has in college baseball in a long, long time. That's why he was so special. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you can give the pitch grades all you want. I think uh, even the informed fan, and we, we throw out a lot of grades, and sometimes I think scouts chide us for it, but, I mean, the, the grades come from them. We're not the ones slapping grades on these pitches. But uh, I don't think you can give this guy an 80 fastball when you don't command it. Just like, you know, J.J. Cooper talks about Aroldis Chapman being a 90 fastball. It's ridiculous because Aroldis Chapman is a commanded. Uh, when you go strike out 14 and walk none in a big league game, throwing as hard as Steven Strasburg did, that's, that's an 80 fastball. When you have the velocity, the life, and the command. We talk about it all the time, Aaron. I obsess about this. We talk about it all the time. Garrett Cole does not have the command. Now, does he have, do yeah. anything, in your opinion, mechanically, or with the people you've talked to? Is that a mechanics issue like it was with Matt Perk as far as you – know, obviously, he's a left-hand or right-hand are a little bit different. Is there something mechanically that he's doing that's not allowing him to command the ball arm side? Or do you think it's just a matter of mentally him not being aggressive enough with the fastball on the inner half of the plate to right-hand hitters? I haven't heard any anything mechanically that that would prevent him from from being able to do that, and and I will say that you know John Savage has has made a point to say the other day that his fastball command has gotten a lot better than it used to be, and he's actually commanded the fastball pretty well. He thinks for most of the year, uh, he certainly has thrown it for strikes. You know, I mean Savage said he's thrown it for for strike about seventy percent of the time this year. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of walks this year, so it's not an issue of control. Uh, it is an issue of of maybe command within the zone and. Uh, um, you know why? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think Garrett Cole certainly doesn't know either. He was extremely frustrated after the game, and you, know, you 
give the kid a lot of credit, by the way, because uh, so many times we've seen college pitchers in his situation dodge the media after a stretch like this, and he right. didn't. He faced the media. He was very polite. He was very honest. He tried to answer questions the best he could, and you know, he, he just left left found himself shaking his head. He couldn't. He didn't have the answers. You I'll know? tell you and, what. And, uh, the command. The command is the only piece of the puzzle that's missing for Garrett Cole. Because I'm so impressed just from afar, from having seen him in Omaha last year, from your interactions with him, with the maturity of a guy who was who scouts banged on in, in high school for lacking maturity. I was impressed. That that still stood out in your draft po- draft blog of the day. Actually reminded me of Sean Gilmartin last year, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and I'm going to tell you what. I know I'm getting on a tangent. Your Q&A in last week's weekend preview with Sean Gilmartin was so awesome. And I almost just I almost just cursed. I did, I was so impressed with Sean Gilmartin dissecting his own problems last year, and then dissecting them and addressing them this year. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, sometimes you have to remember that these guys are twenty twenty one years old, and they have a lot of pressure on them with their draft year. And when guys have draftitis, it's pretty understandable. Hey, Ryan Howard had the, probably the worst case of draftitis, and he's had a pretty nice big league career. Yeah. Um, so if, if a guy has a little struggle before the draft, so I think it's important for people not to jump ship on these guys. And I think what you said about Cole facing that music, owning it, not trying to make excuses for his struggles, speaks volumes for Garrett Cole. And I still, I'm still buying on Garrett Cole. I, at the same time, I, I mean, I think I, I buy that stock. I just am not buying that he's at a level of Strasburg or Pryor. That doesn't mean he won't be better than those guys down the line. He just hasn't yeah. performed like those guys did in college. That's all. I'm with you. I mean, I think that's a great way to sum it up. I still am absolutely a Garrett Cole believer. The stuff's too good. The body's too good. The delivery, the the makeup, it's all there. Uh, and then the command isn't that far off. I really think he's 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 it's going to click for him, and he's going to be pretty special. Agree. Uh, John and Aaron on the Baseball America podcast uh, here at BaseballAmerica.com. Aaron, we have a couple of Twitter questions we'll go ahead and take because uh, I think it's a good uh, entree into the rest of the podcast. Josh, uh, I'm not going to pronounce his last name, Josh D., how are the races for the last national seeds and hosting sites coming? Who do you see getting them? Uh, Aaron, I think we talked about, uh, I guess in, our, in this week's rankings, uh, top eight, uh, well, where did I type them? They're, they're, they're around here somewhere. I thought I had it here. Uh, Texas six, Arizona eight, seven, Florida State eight. Let's let's address Florida State. We just mentioned Sean Gilmartin. The Seminoles seem to be kind of teetering a little bit, Aaron, because they just hadn't consistently beaten the other top ACC teams. They lost that series to Virginia, lost that series to North Carolina. Pretty big weekend series for the Seminoles to beat Miami, a red hot Miami team. Uh, it's Florida State not only solidifying itself as a host, but are they a, a top eight national seed for you? Yes, and and I had them in by a hair last week as a national right. seed. Right. Um, and now I I feel even better about it. I mean, they're the fact that they're three and one against Florida, and now they've won a series against Miami. You know, those are two big in-state rivals. To be five and two against those two teams is a, a nice feather in their cap. And they haven't gotten swept at all. You know, they, yeah, they haven't. They didn't win that series against Virginia, but um, I believe it was in Charlottesville, and all three games went extra innings. I mean, you can't have a closer series than that. Right. Uh, right. I mean, they, they've. I think they've been really good this year. I think they're a national seed, and uh, you know, I, I think Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, Oregon State, Arizona State are all pretty obvious. That's six obvious national seeds. I still think Texas A&M and, and Florida State are probably the other two. Georgia Tech um, took a step back this week, losing a, a series at Clemson. They're not a big step back. They're still in the mix. 
but uh, them in, in Texas and North Carolina are kind of those three teams that I've got on the periphery right now. Amazing to me, Aaron, that when you look at the Boyd's World uh, pseudo-RPI, obviously the, uh, the official one will be released tomorrow afternoon, but when you look at the Boyd's pseudo-RPI, six of the top ten teams are ACC teams. I mean, I just think that right there just tells you <laughs> uh, that the RPI is bull. I mean, six yeah. of the top ten are ACC? Really? Really? That doesn't I, make sense. It doesn't make any sense. It just strains credulita, you know, if uh, as Cartman would say. I just I, – I cannot believe it. Um, I cannot believe that that's, uh, that that's the case. Yeah, and North Carolina's up in that uh, list, and obviously they had a strong year. Miami's up there. Clemson is the sixth team at 10, uh, 10 in, the, in those RPIs. And Clemson, with the impressive week, uh, they win that series at home against Georgia Tech. Clemson played a little softer part of its ACC schedule, took care of business in that softer part of the schedule, enters back into the rankings this week at 22. Let's talk a little bit about the Tigers. Uh, Aaron, it seems like they have remade their pitching a bit here of late, shuffled the deck chairs a little bit at Clemson, but it's actually worked for them. And in Brad Miller, their shortstop, they probably get the hottest hitter in the whole country. Yeah, he's been red hot ever since he came back from that hand injury. And uh, uh, I think you said he's hitting, what, over 500 since he got back? Is that what, he's is that over what it was? Fi- he's hitting over 500 since the North Carolina series coming into the weekend. He, I'm not sure exactly what his body work was for the weekend, but he went four for four on Friday night. Um, no. So, And he's only made, you know, uh, he made two errors that night, but he, I think he's made eight, nine, ten errors for the year, yeah. um, which is a vast improvement, injury or not, uh, to what he did last year when he made 30-plus. Uh, so this guy, I'm not sure what a, what kind of draft he's going to be, but uh, he's a great college player right now. The top five in Clemson's lineup, Aaron, it just I guess the top six, really, their lineup really stands out to me as an offensive lineup with Henson, Pohl, Miller, Schaefer, Schaus, Lamb, Kaiboom, or Kaboom, as I prefer to say. Um, that's a deep lineup. Yeah, there's, not even... an, there's not an easy out in that lineup, really, is there? Right, and even going beyond that, you know, Chris Epps and Jason Stolzer, quality, you know, veteran guys, athletic guys um, who don't give you anything. I mean, it's it's, it's a classic Clemson team that draws a lot of walks, makes you work. Um, You know, they've got a great offensive approach, and and, and that that works. I mean, you know, there's a reason that program has been so successful over the years, and they've been to Omaha a number of times, and, um, you know, it's – they could get back there. They really could. I mean, we thought that they were uh, that kind of a team coming into the year when they were uh, somewhere around the top 10 in the rankings. I forget where exactly. But uh, so the key was to remake the pitching staff. And, um, you know, now they've got Dominic Leone going on Fridays, and I think that's the right guy to have there. I mean, he's a really good, uh, um, you know, competitive college pitcher, quick arm, you know, uh, fastball, breaking ball. Um, you know, and J- Justin Surratt on, on, on Sundays uh, pitched very well, beat Buck Farmer. Um, that's a veteran guy who's been around for a long time now. He's kind of an undersized bulldog type who, uh, um, you know, he's, he's had some good summers in the Coastal Plain League. He's shown you a lot of potential and hadn't quite put it all together um, and to become an impact starter. But uh, looks like he might, might be the answer now. And they've got Scott Weissman back in the bullpen where uh, he picked up a save on, on Sunday. So. Um, you know, maybe that's what they, they needed to figure out what to do with Weissman. He's, that was that was one thing that was frustrating. They thought he was going to be their Friday guy. It hadn't worked out. Looks like he's found a home in the bullpen. I think you nailed it. I think finding uh, Scott Weissman's their best arm, and they had to figure out he's not producing. How can we get this guy 
into a role of success, and he saves both games this weekend on Friday and Sunday, the two games they win. They hold Georgia Tech to six hits. And Justin Serrata, I mean, a grad student, a fifth-year guy, um, getting the job done for them the way his emergence allows them in a way, or, you know, they don't miss Weissman as much. And, boy, it just seems like that, you know, last year their team really came together when they found the closer in Alex Frederick. And this year, you know, Frederick's still there, and I'm sure he can help them, and I'm sure he'll pitch some productive innings in, like, a setup role. But it just seems like putting Scott Weissman in that role and getting some production out of him has been huge for Clemson. And they've really uh, – and they're, and they're offensive. They're offensive enough in this environment, uh, and in this college baseball environment, they're an offensive team. And uh, they're dangerous. They strike me as a dangerous club, Aaron. And uh, and the ACC strikes me as a dangerous league, but 6 out of 10 in the top 10 RPI – that strikes me as some bull. You know, <laughs> that doesn't seem quite right. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, who wants to win the Southeastern Conference's Western Division? The answer hmm. appears to be nobody. It's uh, crazy. The longer this goes in the SEC West, does it make you adjust downward your expectations of SEC teams in the NCAA tournament? I think we all know Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Florida, number one seeds – yeah, they could bank. They they could start selling regional tickets right now. You know, they've won a combined 17 games in a row. Those teams are awesome. Uh, yeah. Georgia's probably going to get in. Nice midweek win against Georgia Tech as well this week. Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU. Who's the most secure team out of those teams uh, to make regionals? Well, I mean, I think it's Arkansas. I mean, I think they've got the best combination of. Uh, the overall record is in pretty good shape, and, and their RPI is, I believe, still really strong. Yeah, uh, it's uh, the number twenty-three, so you know they're they're in pretty good shape. Uh, Auburn is is still number twenty in the RPI, and and uh, you know they they did not have a good weekend, getting swept by South Carolina, but it's South Carolina, you know, I mean that's probably what we would have expected to happen. Um, they just need to get some distance between them and five hundred. They're only twenty-three and twenty-one right now, uh, but if they do, then I think they're probably going to be fine. Um, you know, Alabama, I think, has, has rebounded nicely after a really rough three-week patch. Uh, you know, they lost uh, three straight series to Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Florida. Actually, four straight series they lost. Oh, man. Um, but, uh, but to come back this week and, you know, beat Southern Miss on the road and then, you know, take two out of three at Mississippi State and, you know, all well, they've had to deal with all the tornadoes that ripped through Tuscaloosa, really harrowing experience for them. Great point. Um, it's it's a uh, you, you got to tip your caps to those guys. I mean that's uh, really uh, they showed a lot of character. I, I that's a huge point. I'm really glad you made it because I did not think of it. But that's a tremendous point for Alabama to win a couple of close games. Uh, this is not a physical team. This is not a team that impresses. Uh, I can tell you, it does not impress scouts or opposing coaches when they go out there. Um, but they're winning. Uh, they're pulling games out. Uh, Pretty, pretty. Uh, it's a pretty huge weekend for Alabama. Their schedule still doesn't make me think they're going to regionals, Aaron. Uh, I guess they will, but I mean that series this weekend with LSU, boy, that's a big series. I mean they've got that LSU is. at Auburn and South Carolina left. LSU takes care of business, dramatic fashion with the big comeback on Thursday night, sweeps Kentucky. Uh, they still got the at Alabama, Tennessee at Mississippi State. Still the worst record in the SEC West. How's LSU looking postseason-wise, and, and how they do that this weekend with that big comeback? What was it, eight runs in the bottom of the eighth against Kentucky? 
Yeah, that was that was a stunner on on Thursday night. Uh, you know, they're down they're down five to one in the eighth, and all of a sudden they're they're staring at four and fifteen in the league. Uh, and then you know they just uh, <laughs> they just boy they just got hot, and they got to Alex Meyer, they got to the Kentucky bullpen. Um, Tell me now, Captain, and, what you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> not a good day for the captains. That's right. So they, uh, you know, I, th- I think that was a season-saving inning right there, and uh, they needed to sweep that series. Kentucky is not a good baseball team, um, and uh, and they did it. And so now I think they're back in the mix. I mean, we we talked last week about how the schedule opened up for them, you know, and it's Alabama and Mississippi State are on the road. Those are quality teams. Those aren't be easy series, but they are winnable for LSU. And Tennessee at home is sweepable. So. Um, you know, they're, are they back in the regionals right now? I don't know. They might be. We'll see when I sit down and do stock report. I, probably what my gut says, they're still 7-14. and 14. They're probably still on the wrong side of the bubble, but they're getting a lot closer. Yeah, it's just uh, whew, tough, very tough uh, to parse the SEC West. It's just not a yeah. – it's not an easy answer out there. There hasn't been all year, Aaron, and there's not right now. The, the answer is the answer is there's no good there's no elite teams obviously in that in that division and that's what we thought coming into the year, and it's borne itself out. Absolutely, great point. Uh, Big Twelve, real quick, Aaron. Um, you know, Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Those four teams, I think we feel are regional teams. When you do stock report, it's going to be tough for you to get a fifth team in from that league, isn't it? Mm, yeah, the, last week it was Kansas State was a fifth team, felt pretty good about it. And then they lose two games in a row to Oklahoma State. Um, now there might be, you know, I mean, now they're eight and twelve in the league. That's not a great spot to be in. Um, but uh, I still think they'll, they'll probably wind up being in. I mean, they're they're still twenty eight in the RPI. Uh, they're twenty six and seventeen overall, and they've got some work to do, you know, in, in the conference. I, I think, uh, but but you know, they don't. There's a precedent for teams that don't have great records in Big 12 play, still getting into regionals. I mean, what was great, Oklahoma great. State that They were year? like 8 I mean, like something eight, like 9 19. And 8 and 19 in Oklahoma as well, the year, uh, I believe the year before that or after that. You're, I think it was the year before that. Yeah, um, it was a precedent. You don't have to have a sexy record to get in from right. the Big 12. You're right. And, and it helps that, that Kansas State has, you know, Missouri coming up. Missouri's played a lot better lately, but they're still in last place, and they're coming to Manhattan. And then they've got New Orleans, which you know will hurt their RPI, but those should be three wins. <laughs> and then they've got Kansas to, to close. I mean, it's not a, they don't have a lot left that's challenging. So I think Kansas State will probably be that, that fifth team in the Big 12, and I don't know that there will be a sixth team. How crucial is it? Oklahoma, 18 in the rankings, in the, in the RPI, I should say. Oklahoma State at 24, TCU at 26. There's a winner of the Oklahoma State TCU series next weekend, a non-conference weekend series in May. How huge of a series is that? Are there hosting implications there, or do you think those teams are too far back to get into the hosting discussion? I think Oklahoma State could still get into the hosting discussion. It, it seems like TCU is in trouble uh, after after losing two games midweek now to, to Oklahoma. Um, you know, it, it seems like the, the hosting resume isn't there, but if they get hot, let's say they sweep Oklahoma State um, – you know, I think they would have to sweep Oklahoma State to get back into this discussion because of the RPI and their, the fact that they haven't done great in midweek action. They've been okay, but not great. Um, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe TCU could sneak back into it as well. But, yeah, it's a pretty big series. I, that just strikes me as a very significant non-conference series um, at this time of the year. A couple of the things I wanted to touch on, Aaron, we're going to wrap up a tighter podcast today. UConn is back. 
the Huskies got back in the rankings last weekend, remain in the rankings this weekend. Uh, I guess what we were we moved them up to twenty. This is a team that uh, there again there are a lot of haters <laughs> on UConn, but it seems like that talent is really playing itself out, and that's without that's with Matt Barnes losing a game this weekend, correct? And that's also with Elliot yeah. Glenn, their their senior kind of leading pitcher, presumed Friday starter. He just had a disastrous year. He's missed a month. He comes back. He still gets hit up a little bit this weekend. Um, how's UConn doing it? And if they get into regionals, which I think we think they will get in, even if it's an at-large team, they're kind of in that bubble status. How dangerous is UConn? Do you think people are going to sleep on the Huskies as like a three seed coming to, like, I don't know, Virginia or uh, potentially yeah. uh, North Carolina or something like that? Uh, how, how, how dangerous do you think the Huskies are? Yeah, I think that's the three or four seed that you don't want to see in your regional, because uh, I think they're really dangerous, you know. And and right now that they're they're even without Nick Ahmed, they're they're multi talented oh, yeah. shortstop. Completely who, forgot who uh, who suffered a collapsed lung on Monday against Quinnipiac in a uh, collision at first base, but uh, they they plugged in Tom Verdi there at shortstop, and he's come up with some big hits for him this week. Um, you know they they're they're our nose blue collar Northeast team that has talent. You know that's uh. Not only is it two guys who are going to go in the top half of the first round with Springer and Barnes, but, I mean, we've talked about it before. I, I love the team's speed. I think that's a real asset for them, especially with these bats. They can manufacture offense with their speed. You know, guys like LJ Mazzilli and John Andrioli and, um, you know, uh, Springer, of course. I mean, they barely fair. These guys can really run. Um, they've got veterans on the mound in addition to, to Springer. And, um, I mean, some, sorry, in addition to Barnes. I mean, they've got Greg Napo who's been around. They've got uh, you know Oberg and and uh, um, Vance in the bullpen, veteran guys. I mean they've got a lot of experience in this team. Uh, Van Wart, I mean other guys, upperclassmen. I mean um, I think they're dangerous. You know, and they're 30 and 13. And yeah, I know they struggled in the pre-conference and they've kind of found their groove in the in the Big Big East. And the Big East isn't great, but uh, you know they've they've taken care of business. They're in control of the Big East. They swept St. John's. They won two out of three against Pitt. Those are two of the teams that are in the top part of that league standings i think pitts in second place and st john's is tied for third um i think they're really good you know i still think they're really good and and you know i saw them out here in california a couple of times and my eyes told me that they were good that they were talented and they just hadn't clicked yet and uh now i think they're they're getting a lot closer i think that's a great way to sum it up um and aaron i guess the other team that's kind of in this mix is a really difficult team to assess is stetson um I moved up in our rankings this week. Uh, you know, we have Stetson at 15, Fresno at 19. I thought we should touch on both those teams. You know, Stetson, basically this team's going to have to – they're going to have to lose a series to fall out of our rankings or to fall on our rankings. Um, even The Atlantic Sun's a competitive league this year, maybe not as much pro talent as we've seen in that league in recent years, but it's a very competitive league. Um what, do the, does the Miami series loss give them? A, do they have more of a chance to host? Do you think that their chan- their hosting chances are uh, getting dimmer by the week because their RPIs going to keep coming down as they play in conference? You know, I had them as a host last week over Miami, and and I and now I, I still do. I mean, they you know they swept up their series. Miami lost the series. Um, I think if you compare their resume to Miami's. Uh, I believe Stetson's got a better record against the top 100. They have a better RPI um, right now, according to Boyd. Or no, not better. They're very comparable. They're like, uh, you know, 13th. It's a very competitive RPI. Yeah, I mean they're 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 in they're in pretty good shape, and I think the fact that they're a mid-major, um, you know, that helps them. 
uh, if you compare them with Miami, which is in the ACC, well, is the committee going to give the ACC five hosts uh, where you've got another team in Florida that has a comparable resume that's a mid-major that hasn't hosted before that would love to and has a good enough facility to do it? Um, I think I think they'd rather have Stetson host even, even if they uh, – you know they had Stetson as a two seed, Miami as the one seed, which could happen because the RPI. I mean, this could be a deal like like UConn last year, hosting as a two seed, uh, despite all their wins, their great season, their forty-seven win season, they were a two seed, and Florida State was a one because of the RPI. Uh, that could happen with Stetson. They could be a two seed and maybe Miami a, a number one, but uh, I think Stetson's going to host unless they fall apart here down the stretch. I'm looking for uh, now. I'm looking at Fresno. It's another team that we've had hosting Aaron, and their RPI is still good. But uh, a series to be completed tonight at home against Hawaii. I thought, again, your weekend preview breakdown of Hawaii was just awesome. Detailing, talk about injuries. They go into the Fresno State series with a backup catcher playing shortstop. <laughs> I can't get over that. And uh, Colton Wong and company just continuing to get the job done. Uh, they win the first two games at Fresno. If Hawaii wins that series, is Hawaii going to be an at-large team now? Can the WAC be a two-bid league, or is their RPI just too low? Uh, you know they're they're 107 in the RPI right now, so um, which which boggles my mind a little bit because they've played a good non-conference schedule. You know they started up with Oregon, which turned out to not be good. So that's one thing that hurts them. Um, Texas, they played Cal State Fullerton. They went to LMU. You know they they they've played a lot of named teams non-conference. They did as much as they could have done to scheduling. Um, and you know, and Mike Trapasso was kind of bemoaning it a little bit last week when I talked with him, just because they, it doesn't matter what they do, they just can't get the RPI to work in their favor out there, you know. And it's it, it's frustrating for him, but um, they're probably not going to be an at-large, you know. And, and I, if they win this series, it looks like they're in pretty good shape to maybe uh, get that automatic bid. They probably would wind up being the number one seed in the WAC tournament. Um, you know, you still have to like Fresno's chances. I still think Fresno's the best team in that league, but. Uh, you know, if they if they lose three out of four at home to Hawaii, then it's hard to make that case all of a sudden. So, uh, you know, I I think that if Fresno does not win the automatic bid, it'll be a two bid league. Otherwise, you're probably looking at just Fresno. That's a good point. Uh, Bert Granger uh, asked us on uh, on Twitter. Uh, we discussed Clemson. He said, "Please discuss Clemson, TCU, and UConn as preseason top tens that stumble out of the gate, appear to have righted the ship." We've discussed UConn. We've discussed Clemson. TCU, Aaron, do you feel like TCU's right at the ship? Or do you feel like TCU is still f- still trying to figure out? I mean, it seems like they, st- from afar, and you're more plugged in than I am, seems like they're still trying to figure out their post-Josh Holiday, not Josh Holiday, Brian Holiday. <laughs> they're trying to figure out their post-Brian Holiday identity a little bit, it seems like. It feels like Kyle Winkler is the undisputed guy on this team and the, and the number one guy, and their upside still seems pretty high if Matt Perk comes back. You know, it could be Matt Perk again, but there are no guarantees there. Uh, talk a little bit about about the Horn Frogs before we sign off. You know, they have only lost one series all year, and that was against Cal State Fullerton early on. No they shame have, there. Yeah, no that's shame. right. And and they have dominated the Mountain West the way that we expected them to, the way that they needed to. Um, and they've actually done better in midweek games against good teams than they did last year when they really had a lot of trouble with those Big 12 teams. They, they did beat Texas A&M last week midweek. Um, you know, they've got a win against Texas State, and, um, you know, they've, they've done okay, win against Baylor earlier on. But And, and also they, they played Big 12 teams in weekend series earlier this year. They took two out of three against Kansas. They swept at Texas Tech. Um, 
you know, they, they've, they've done a good job. I think they put together a nice body of work. It does seem like they're fighting it more than they were last year. That The season's been more of a grind for them, and not just because of Perk. But, you know, they've, uh, the pitching depth, I think, isn't where it was last year. For sure it's not. Right. Um, you know, we, we thought coming into the year that – and Schlossnagel was worried coming into the year about their bullpen a little bit. You know, that was his major concern with this team. Um, he thought Eric Miller was going to have to be the closer, and that did not work out. It was a disaster. But now they've moved Eric Miller into that uh, – um, you know, this weekend starter role in place of Perk, and he's pitched well for two weeks in a row now. He's got a very good arm, um, and, and, you know, if, 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 he's, if he's coming around, that's good news for them. Um, they still have two, you know, quality guys with Winkler and, and Maxwell. Um, Andrew Mitchell's been outstanding as a freshman. They like him now in that midweek role where they play all those, those quality midweek games. Um, but the, the bullpen depth is still a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's made it hard for them. They've had to move guys around. I mean, we saw it last week when they played Monday and Tuesday, they had to pitch a guy on, on Monday against Dallas Baptist who they were planning on red shirting. Right. Uh, it, so it's uh, it's it's pitching depth is not there, and I think that hurts them. Uh, they're they're certainly not as offensive as they were um, last year. They're not as physical, you know, without without uh, Holiday and, and Matt Curry. But uh, they they've scored enough runs. I, I still think they're they're dangerous. Um, but I, I don't think necessarily that they're as good of a team as they were last year. Almost seems like uh, as all, maybe I'm. Uh... I haven't mentioned Matt Curry this year, but it almost seems like they miss him more in some ways. Than I wouldn't go that because, far. But, but, I wouldn't go that far. Holiday was a heart and soul of that team. I know, but don't they, But I mean, in terms of production, you know, Josh Elander's a pretty decent player. He plays a pretty prominent role in their team. If they really – maybe it's just the bats. They just don't seem like they have a masher in the middle of that lineup like they had uh, with Matt Curry. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know – and. Brian Holiday had a huge year offensively last year too. Both those guys were those were their two best offensive players last year, and and, and they're both gone. And and you know Holiday was also a catcher, and you know like again the leadership and the defense yeah, and all that heart stuff. And soul, but, right, that's right. But but uh, so yeah, they missed both those guys. There's no question. And and they missed the seniors that they had in the bullpen. They could mix and match you last year and, and had a lot of options back there. Uh, they missed Caleb Merck, who should have been their closer this year before he was lost to uh, Tommy John surgery. So uh, there's some things you can point to. I think you got to give those guys credit for being 31 yeah. and, and yep. 13, given the, the injuries and the, and the situation that they've had. I'm saying all those things. I was about to say they're, they're 15 and 2 in their league, and they're 31 and 3. It's uh, pretty impressive. So uh, uh, we, we could probably talk more, Aaron. Uh, impressive win in, in Conference USA for Southern Miss on the road. Um, solidifying themselves as the top team in that league. Um, we probably and, uh, should touch on that before we go. I mean, that's a, I think that's a, that's a pretty significant series um, for Southern Miss, like you said, going on the road. I mean, that, that's, that's, I think, clearly the best team in Conference USA. I mean, I, I'm really impressed with them. Again, it's, it seems like their they're Omaha team a couple of years ago with a lot of veteran older guys, you know, the Mark Bourgeois types. I mean, he's had a great year as, as yep. a physical uh, it seems like every weekend I'm looking at the box scores and that guy's got a big hit or a big home run for them or, you know, four RBIs like he had Saturday. Um, they, 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 again, it's a, it's a very physical older lineup. And, and even without Todd McGinnis this weekend, they got great pitching from, from um, Jonathan Thompson on Saturday through a complete game shutout. And, uh, you know, Jeffrey Thomas, I believe, pitched very well on Friday. Uh, and they've got a great closer at the back. I mean, this team's dangerous. I like Southern Miss. I like Southern Miss as well. They're physical. They're experienced. 
They even with Volmuth a little bit hurt, they've st- he's he's DHing. He still provides power in the middle of their lineup. Um, they are they are a dangerous team. Uh, Southern Conference, real quick. Uh, Georgia Southern getting swept at UNC Greensboro. Uh, that was a shocker, I think, to both of us. But Elon, Kyle Charleston, UNC Greensboro, all three of these teams are very hot. Elon seems like they've got a very good shot at an at-large bid if they don't win the league. Charleston, I think the next most likely team is Samford in this mix at all. Their RPI is not that different from Charleston's. Uh, is this a two-bid league, three-bid league? I mean, I, obviously you can explore this a little bit deeper with the, this week's stock report. Uh, what's your gut on, on the SOCON? How many other multi-bid leagues are there? Uh, well, you know, I think it's probably a two-bid league if you like College of Charleston. And, and I, I like their talent, and I like the fact that they've been playing better. And um, they're, they're, they're getting themselves back onto the bubble, you know, in that range. They're, I think they're number 60 now or so in the RPI. Right. Uh, maybe maybe even a little bit better than that, but um, you know they're they're 30 and 15 overall. I mean, you can make a case for them. I think Elon is the only one that can can feel safe right now. I don't expect. I mean, Samford, they're in fifth place in the league. Uh, they haven't really won the series against the the best teams they've played. Um, you know, they they lost the series last week to Greensboro. Greensboro is hot right now. You're right, but their RPI is not going to get it done. Um, I think it's Elon, and and I think Georgia Southern blew its chance this weekend. You know, they were already kind of on the periphery because of the RPI. Uh, getting swept by Greensboro was a killer. Um, so I think it's Elon and maybe College of Charleston. But you could see this as a one-bid league this year. It's uh, you know, this league is is something like number thirteen in the conference RPI, which is lower than it usually is. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a two or three-bid league like it usually is. I agree with you. I think, I think that I personally think that second bid is going to come down to Charleston and uh, Sanford the last weekend of the season. Uh, Sanford's RPI isn't that far behind Charleston's, and they still have uh, a game with Auburn and a game with Troy that'll help their RPI. So uh, we'll see. They've got to obviously take care of business on the field, but a win against Auburn this week did not hurt the Bulldogs' chances. And I'm just going to throw out there, um, you know, it's a, it's a time of year for job speculation, <laughs> you know. Uh, we know of one job that's open, uh, two, I guess, North Carolina A&T, which is not a job people will seek. And I'm very sorry to see Keith Shoemate resign there, but I understand why he's, he, he wants, uh, you know, he want, he's, he's a white coach at an HBCU, and he wants an African-American to be the coach at, a, at an HBCU. And that's, that's why he's leaving. I think Keith Shoemate will do great wherever he wants to go. He's a Jack Leggett protege and, a, you know, he's in that school. I bet you he'll wind up as an assistant coach at a good school and make three times as much money. Um, Southern Cal is a big job opening out there. It's not as useless to speculate about it right now because it's just speculation. But, you know, we don't even know if Frank Cruz will be kept. He's the interim head coach there. They just got swept this weekend by Arizona. That doesn't bode well for the Trojans. They're under 500. But uh, if, you're a, if you're a team looking at – if you're looking at young mid-major head coaches who are upwardly mobile, I'm telling you about Casey Dunn, who played at Auburn whose dad is a legendary high school baseball coach and, and out in the state of Alabama. By legendary, I don't mean he didn't really exist. He's like King Arthur. I mean legendary in that he has a big – he's he has a very big reputation. Um, so it's really legendary is the wrong word to use. <laughs> uh, but Sanford's uh, – co- if Sanford goes to regionals this year, that guy's going to be a head coach in the SEC somewhere. I, 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 that, that's my considered opinion. Um, that's, that's one thing to watch in the Southern Conference. That's a cradle – of coaches who move on to other jobs historically. Yeah. And that's, that's one that's uh, an upwardly mobile one. Any other league, Aaron, is the Atlantic sun, a multi-bid league, the Sun Belt, are these multi-bid leagues you think 
Yeah. Possibly, for sure. I think both those leagues probably will be. Um, you know, Jacksonville. Jacksonville's on the bubble. I mean, you know that that that's a that's a potential two bid league. Um, right now, I had Jacksonville in last week. Um, I think Sun Belt is a safer bet to be two or three bid league. Florida International really helped itself this weekend with a series sweep, and they're uh, um, they're playing well right now. You know, and that that was a team coming into the year that I think we had as the the favorite in the Sun Belt. Um, and they're they're starting to starting to play like it. And and, and FAU, another team that we had in last week, but on the bubble, uh, really helped itself with a series win against Troy. So, so um, yeah, I think those three teams in the Sun Belt. I think that's probably a, a three bid league. Great stuff, Fitzy. Uh, too much fun talking to to try to smush all that into thirty minutes. Uh, we both got meetings to do and work to do, calls to make, people to see. So uh, let's get back to that. But uh, great takes. Uh, from you this week and uh, thank everybody for the questions on Twitter and on Facebook and we will see you next Monday on the next Baseball America College podcast I also want to remind people uh, I believe now it can be told um, that next Sunday May 8th will be the debut of the Baseball America show on XM Sirius uh, uh, satellite radio Aaron you, uh, you want to be a guest next Sunday night? <laughs> Is this, is this an official invitation? It's an official invite. <laughs> I'm extending the invite. You could be our I'm first there. guest. I'm there. Sunday night seems like a good t- a good time to to have you on to talk a little college baseball on Sirius XM. I think is what I'm supposed to say. And we also remind people that uh, Baseball America has uh, all of our 2011 books are available. Get your copy while supplies last. I know we're already short on prospect handbook copies, but you can get the prospect handbook, the almanac, the directory, the draft almanac, the super register all at baseballamerica.com backslash store. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.